Welcome to another episode of Behind the Human. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it is my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game, personally and professionally. Today, I'm chatting with Mike Robbins, who is the author of five books, including Bring Your Whole Self to Work, and We're All in This Together. He's a former pro baseball player whose career ended early due to an injury. And for the past 20 years, he's been a sought after motivational speaker who delivers keynotes and seminars for some of the top companies in the world. He and his work have been featured in the New York Times and the Harvard Business Review, as well as NPR and ABC News. He's a regular contributor to Forbes, hosts a weekly podcast, and his books have been translated into 15 different languages. And I would also add, he's just a great human. So welcome to the show, Mike. Well, Mark, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. And thanks for saying that about me being a great human. I appreciate that. <laughs> you are. I mean, I like like we chatted about last time, I usually try to have a pre-call with uh, with the guests yeah. if we're not doing this in person. And we really jammed and connected. So it's uh, yeah. it's uh, it's an honor to have you. I'm excited to learn a little bit more about your story, chat a little bit more about the book as well. Yeah, well, I'm glad to be here. So I did describe a little bit about your work and what you're mm-hmm. up to, and we'll, we'll get into more of that as the show goes. But I, I like to start with just, you know, who are you? What what defines <laughs> you as a human? Just a nice light one to get going. Oh, geez. That's a big question. <laughs> um, I mean, I think, you know, for me, what's most important in my life is love. And I'm somebody who's you know, fascinated by being human. I love the title of your show, the name of your show. I love the focus of your work, you know, and, and focused on mental fitness because it's something, you know, so I grew up, I live here in California where I grew up and I was a baseball player as a kid growing up, Mark. And that was like my focus, my passion. I was really into it and I was good at it. I actually got drafted out of high school by the New York Yankees. I didn't end up signing a contract with the Yankees because I got a chance to play baseball in college at Stanford University. And so I go to Stanford, uh, play baseball there. Then I got drafted out of Stanford by the Kansas City Royals and I signed a pro contract. And the way it works in baseball, you know, whether you get drafted by the Yankees or the Royals or the Blue Jays up where you are in Toronto or any of the teams (laughs) in the major leagues, right? You have to go into the minor leagues. And I go into the minors. I was a pitcher doing pretty well, working my way up, trying to get to the major leagues. And I went out to pitch one night, my third season, still in the minors. Threw one pitch, tore ligaments in my elbow, blew my arm out. Uh, I was 23 when I got hurt. I started playing baseball when I was seven. Yeah. Yeah. What was going through your mind? Like, did you know right away? Well, I had had some minor injuries along the way. So it wasn't my first rodeo with arm injuries, but there was something about that night when I got hurt. It was like, this was bad. I could tell it was really bad. My arm swelled up on me. I couldn't hardly move it. And I was like, hey, this is different than any other injury I had. I saw a doctor the next day who thought "Mm, maybe you had a bone spur that like broke loose and it just lodged in your elbow and it locked up on you. You (laughs) You're going to need to go home and and have surgery on it, which I kind of knew at the time. My season's over. I go home to California. I was playing on the East Coast of the U.S., um, in the minor leagues with Kansas city. I was actually, anybody listening ever saw the movie bull Durham. I was pitching against the Durham bulls that night that <laughs> I got hurt. Um, the team that's featured in that movie from that's now, you know, 30 plus years old with Kevin Costner and Tim Robbins and yeah. Susan Sarandon. Um, but I go down to LA to see the Dodgers team doctor named Frank Job, who was sort of the guru of, you know, arms at the time. And he looked at me and said, Oh no, you need reconstructive elbow surgery, which is also called Tommy John surgery. 
um, which meant, oh, I was going to be out for 12 to 18 months. And yeah. at that point, you know, I needed to get the surgery. I got it done, but I had a sense this could be the end because I had some shoulder in injuries as well and some other stuff. And so anyway, the long story short was I ended up having three surgeries on my arm over the next two years and did everything I could to try to come back, but wasn't able to make it back and was forced to retire at the age of 25. Um, which, you know, at 25 years old is not usually a time you're ending something significant in life. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it was for me, and it was a huge chapter. It was 18 of the first 25 years of my life that had really been focused on this one dream, this one goal, this one activity. And I had gotten really good at it and it had become my identity and, you know, who I was in my mind a lot was Mike, the baseball player. So mm -hmm. it, it was really hard. It was a really hard, painful process to go through and then to try to figure out, well, who the hell am I if I'm not a baseball player? And if I don't do this thing really, really well, that that was going to, you know, I was going to be rich and famous and successful and people were going to, you know, and coming from where I came from growing up, single mom, not a lot of money. Um, you know, there was a lot riding on it for me. And even though I'd gotten a degree in college at Stanford, which is a good school, but I, I didn't get my degree in anything with any thought of like, I'm going to go do that for a living. It was just sure. like, I need a degree so I can graduate, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, wow. So yeah. how did you, how did you mentally navigate that? I mean, I, I can't imagine it, it's like the classic story. Like you, you see, th these are the stories you see in the movies, right? Essentially. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm curious how you got through that. And I guess a follow up to that is, have you had other moments in your life? Maybe even now, like uh, asking that same question, who am I? Oh, for sure. Well, I mean, separate from, I mean, it was sort of connected, but when I was in my, my junior year in college, um, the year I ultimately ended up getting drafted by the Royals and signing, um, I actually got suicidally depressed and mm. was in a really, really bad place. I was 20, 21 years old and come from a family with a lot of mental illness. My dad had bipolar disorder and a lot of mental illness on my father's side of the family. So I was familiar with it, at least in theory on what it was, but was really convinced like that's not going to happen to me. Yeah. And then it, and then it did. And so it was the pain of depression, which anybody listening who's ever been depressed knows how painful that is. But it was also the fear and the terror of, oh my God, this is going to be the rest of my life. So I had, was going through that simultaneously as I was playing baseball at the end of college and still having success in baseball, but then dealing with my mental health and my, men, my own struggles with mental illness, um, and kind of came out, it sort of all came to a head as my career, my baseball career ended. I also sort of was on my knees now because that threw me into a whole depression and had been sort of in and out of depressions from about the age of 20 until 25. Um, and what really helped me ultimately was getting, I mean, I was getting some good therapy and some good support and some good help, but really sort of more deeply diving headfirst into my own mental fitness, my own emotional awareness, my own growth and development. And that's what I sort of became obsessed with when my baseball career ended was I just literally started taking every workshop and looking for every intervention I could find on the planet. Cause I was like, there has to be some answer to, or explanation for all of this pain that I'm experiencing. I can't be alone in that. I mean, I knew I wasn't, but it, yeah. then I started to realize like, oh yeah, the whole world's in pain to some degree, just nobody talks about it. And that's actually what really started to help me 
was to realize like there's a deeper level of truth I can go in within myself and then I can start connecting with other people on that level. And then I realize, oh, I'm not alone. So huge. Yeah. And five books later, here you go. Well, I mean, so <laughs> then, I mean, just to keep the, what, what happened is so like, you know, it's the late, it's the late nineties. I get a job working in the, you know, dot com boom time selling yeah. online advertising. And then I'm outside of work. I'm taking all of these workshops and courses and I'm reading all these books and I'm going to see therapists and trying to help myself. Like, how do I navigate through some of my depression as well as just this huge life change and transition, not knowing who I am. And what really inspired me was I would just wander into bookstores, Mark, and I would find these books and start pulling them off the shelves. And it was books by people like Wayne Dyer or Marianne Williamson or Deepak Chopra. Or, and I was like, oh, these were helping me as mm -hmm. well as all the workshops and courses and things I was taking and the therapy I was doing. But I kept having this sense of like, I want to do that. Meaning like what these, all these books I'm reading, like how do people do that? Do you have to be a therapist? Do you have to be a minister? Do you have to be a, like, who do you have to be in order to be qualified to do that? Because yeah. that's what I'm interested in. And so I ended up getting laid off in 2000 when the dot-com bubble burst and the economy, the tech economy, especially really tanked. And I was out of work and scared because I didn't have a job and I needed to make some money. But a mentor of mine said to me, well, if you could do anything, what would you do? If you didn't have to worry about paying the rent and you weren't scared about, you know, your bills and all that, what would you do? And I said, well, I would write and I would speak and I would try to share some of what I've learned, especially in the last few years through my struggles and through some of what I'm learning. But just in general, I would share that with people in a way that maybe would relate to them, connect with them and could help them. And he was like, well, you should do that. And I'm like, now? And he said, yeah, I mean, like you could wait till you think you figured it out or you could just do it now. And I was 26. I was out of work. The economy where I lived was really bad. It, se it, was, it seemed practically speaking like a terrible idea. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. And then it took me a number of months, Mark. This was the summer of 2000. So we're talking 20 years ago. I met my wife, my now wife, Michelle, that fall and was sort of half-heartedly looking for a job and wasn't finding one. And, and when I met her, it, there was something clicked about her, but then she had started her own business and she really got me. Like she saw me and got me and said, oh, I get what you're doing. Like, this is who you are. This is your passion. This is like what you're supposed to do. And I was like, what? And she's like, mm. yeah, you got to go do it. And I was like, but, uh, you know, and she's like, look, it's not going to be easy and it'll be scary, but like you can totally do it. And so with her encouragement, as well as a bunch of other great support in my life, the beginning of 2001, I decided, decided I'm going to start my own business as a coach, as a motivational speaker, as a hopefully one day author, if I can ever figure out how the heck to write and write a book and get anybody to publish it. That was my plan. And I decided, you know, people say, go back to school, get a degree in, you know, psychology or in organizational development or in something, you know, and I love to learn. I just never loved school. And I was like, okay, if I have to go get a degree, I will, but I'd really rather not. So I decided I was going to, what I call design my own curriculum which meant I'm going to learn, I'm going to read as many books as I can, listen to as many in those days, even cassette tapes. I'm going to talk to people. I'm going to take people out to coffee. I'm going to take workshops. I'm going to just try to learn as much as I can about different aspects of mental and emotional wellness, as well as success and whatever, just call upon anything and everything. How could I help people? I didn't even know what the heck I was going to really speak about or write about. I just knew I had this desire in me to want to help and want to share my story and anything that I had learned and was learning. I used to describe it as like, you know, people who like just hang out at the gym 
and love to work out and that's yeah. all their way into fitness. And like, if, if that's what, you know, it's great. If you do that, it's great to then be a trainer because then you're at the gym all day and you do it all day and you learn about it and it becomes what you do. And I said, the funny thing is the concept of mental fitness that you talk about wasn't even really a thing that people were talking about 20 years ago. But in some ways I was like, I kind of want to be a trainer, like a personal growth trainer. Yeah. And there were life yeah. coaching was kind of starting, but I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to learn as much as I can and keep learning about myself and keep growing and evolving. And I want to then share that with people in a way that can help them. And I'd love to make a living doing that. Like, can I do that? Like, that's what I want to do. <laughs> and it was literally how I started. Um, and you know, those first couple of years were pretty lean, but I learned a ton and what evolved over the first few years, interestingly enough, and has continued to evolve even more was all these, these companies started bringing me in to talk about teamwork, to talk about performance in, and I'm like, really? Okay. Like, I don't know a ton about corporations and big companies. Mm -hmm. Like I worked for two internet startups, but I did play baseball all those years. I know a lot about teamwork and what it takes for people to come together and I'm fascinated by mental and emotional growth and well-being. And I think those things are important. And so my message and my story started to really resonate. And then I started to develop some workshops and programs and keynote speeches and things that seem to resonate with leaders and teams and people in businesses. And I just kept sort of going in that direction because that seemed to be where people were wanting me to go. And, you know, was that before year the book? Or, well, or before after. my my first book came out in 07, it's called Focus on the Good Stuff. But I started okay. speaking in 2001 and coaching. And a lot of what I was talking about at the time was the power of appreciation, which is what that book is all about. And I was yeah. telling my story about, hey, I didn't really appreciate how good I was and what I had until it was gone. I was so focused on trying to make it as a baseball player, I forgot to enjoy it. And oh, by the way, the best teams I was ever on we all really appreciated each other and valued each other and rooted for each other and wanted each other to do well. Like, so those two things on the personal side and on the team side, to me, appreciation was, and I still, 20 years later, I still talk a lot about appreciation, but my work continued to evolve and to focus on authenticity and to focus on compassion and to focus on these other things in the context of leadership and teamwork and performance. And, you know, five books in and 20 years later, I mean, you know, I, I work with companies, you know, like Google and, you know, Wells Fargo and Microsoft and Schwab and all these big companies that I'm super honored and grateful that I get to work with. But I'm really just talking about, you know, personal growth and development, mental fitness, emotional fitness, like things that now, as you know, because of your work, the world at in general, but even, even in specifically the corporate world, the business world, there's been a huge movement around mindfulness, yeah. around wellness, around all these things, because they realize, oh, we've got to focus on the whole person, not just show up, do your job and go. I mean, especially right now in the midst of this crazy pandemic that we're into, it's like, oh my goodness, the game keeps changing and how we need to show up for work and how we need to engage with each other is very different than it was five years ago, especially 15, 20, 30 years ago. It's, it's fascinating because I, I mean, especially right now, things change literally by the hour. It's probably <laughs> one of the biggest mental tests that, that we're all under in, in every sense oh, of the word. Sure. I'm curious, you know, just first of all, thank you for sharing that detail because I, I think it's important because I think a lot, a lot of us and myself included, you know, you see a lot of the results from, you know, the, the work you're doing, the books, the speaking, the, the this and the that, but it's like, what was the starting point, right? Like what yeah. kept you motivated and pushed you through or, 
you mentioned some companies started reaching out. Were the, was that just a, a result of the networking and all the learning you were doing? It was. I mean, you know, I grew up in the Bay Area. I still live here. I had some connections. I went to Stanford, which is local here. I mean, I knew some people. What also started to happen was like, I'm <laughs> one of the things that's always, um, I think, been a strength of mine. Like, as an athlete, I, I, I wasn't the biggest, I wasn't the strongest, I wasn't the most talented, like physically gifted. I just always kind of worked my ass off. Like that's just my, how I'm sort of wired. I don't know exactly where that came from, you know, with love and respect to both of my late parents. They weren't super hardworking people. I mean, they weren't. <laughs> um, it was just this thing that like from an early age, I just kind of got like, I got to work really hard if I'm going to get to do the things that I want to do. And so with that, when I first started my business, I decided, you know, I wanted to be a motivational speaker and I wanted to, and someone said to me, you know how you become a professional speaker? You go give a hundred free talks. And by mm. the time you get to a hundred, someone will pay you to speak. And I was like, seriously? Okay. So I literally had this notebook and I was like, I'm going to talk a hundred times, like at my high school, at the Rotary Club, at wherever the hell I can, like, whoever's going to listen to me because sure. I want to get better. I want to learn this skill and figure out, hone the message and and I think it was talk like number 12 or something that I got paid. But my plan was to do 100. And then what, but what happened with all these random places I would go speak, business networking groups and rotary clubs and other service clubs, inevitably what would happen is someone would come up to me. And I was young, right? I was 26, 27 years old as I was starting this. And someone would say, oh, that's, that was really interesting. Could you give a talk here or could you talk to this person? And, and I found this weird little niche in the business world at the time that I didn't even know really existed was all of these people who were my age, who were in their late 20s, early 30s, who were from Generation X, were now getting hired by these more traditional companies like Wells Fargo and Chevron and Kaiser and these companies that were based here in the Bay Area where I live. And they were coming in. It was mostly baby boomers who were there in those companies. And baby boomers and Gen Xers had a very different relationship to work, especially yeah. people who'd come from the tech sort of dot-com world. And so these companies were struggling with their culture at the time. Like, how do we integrate? We want the energy and the wisdom, in, or not wisdom, more of the enthusiasm of these younger folks, but we want to also impart some wisdom on them and figure out how we're going to work together. And they show up to work in like jeans and Birkenstocks and like that doesn't make sense and or whatever it was. And, and so I didn't have any particular expertise on generational differences, but mm. I was from that generation and I understood what it takes to create an environment, even when there's a diverse group of people coming together around a common goal, because that had been my life growing up in Oakland, California, in a really diverse place, playing on a lot of sports teams with people from different backgrounds. And then all my years playing baseball, when I left Oakland, it was just like, oh, you got to figure out how to get people excited about a common goal so that our strengths come out as opposed to we're just standing back judging each other for all of our differences. Yeah. And that became something that I just sort of intuitively understood and was able to articulate and, and people seemed to resonate with it. And I think the sports thing helped because even though I was young and who the hell was I and what were the, why were they going to listen to me? Oh, well, like this kid pitched at Stanford and in the college world series and then played professional baseball. Like maybe he knows something or at least the people that would normally cross their arms and roll their eyes would actually listen to a story because they found it interesting. Yeah. It's a story. Yeah. It's fascinating how life unfolds. Like I, I can't, I'm sure you've, you've reflected back on this several times, but just those informative years and those years of mental and physical training as a baseball yes. player, how it's just all unfolding into 20 years of, of helping different types of teams, but if you will, totally. teams, right? Well, and, and you know what I think related to your work and related to what you focus on in terms of mental fitness and really like 
one of the things that I realized as an athlete, Mark, and I still understand this today and talk about it and think about it in my own life and in my own business, is there's the practical reality of whatever we do, right? Like there's doing a podcast like you and I are doing right now, right? There's, there's, you know, whatever, everyone listening to us, whatever kind of work you do, just like when I was playing baseball, there was the practical or mechanical part of doing the, the sport of baseball. And then there was all the mental emotional stuff, which was always a hundred times harder. Yeah. Like as hard as, and baseball, like even if you're listening, you don't care about or pay any attention to baseball. Baseball is a really hard sport. It's kind of slow. It's kind of weird. It's, it's like, you can be, you, you know, there are people who are really good at baseball who aren't even super athletic. And then there's really athletic people who are terrible at baseball because it's a weird sport. And there's a ton of like failure and waiting in between times. And I was a pitcher. So the mental part of going out on the mound and trying to throw the ball where you want to throw it and hope it all works out and your teammates make good plays behind you and then inevitably having a terrible game and then having to wait another five days until you get to play again. And all you do is think about how terrible you did and how much everyone hates you. I mean, it was just like mentally, emotionally, really challenging. And I remember getting even to, I'm playing professionally at a pretty high level. And like the skills involved were super important. So again, if you're six foot five and you throw 95 miles an hour, I mean, that's going to be a benefit. Then you're like me, you know, barely six feet tall. And I threw, you know, 88 miles an hour or whatever. But at the end of the day, the hardest part of that experience by far was the mental and emotional part of it. And I watched guys all those years playing and I would look at the difference. Someone would be incredibly physically talented, but couldn't handle it mentally, emotionally. And they would just flame out. And I'd be like, man, I wish I had that guy's talent. But then I'd realize, oh, you need talent, but you also need to be able to master yourself and have some sense of groundedness, some sense of, I wouldn't have called it this at the time, mindfulness, awareness, ability to manage the ups and downs of this experience. And that's not just baseball and sports, by the way, because I think about this 20 years in this business, writing books and giving speeches and having a podcast of my own and traveling around doing all the stuff that I do. Look, it takes some skill, clearly, but the hardest part of this, and I just finished writing a book and I'm just now launching it. The hardest part of writing a book and releasing a book, in my experience, just like pitching, way harder mentally and emotionally than it is practically. Yeah, I can I can attest to that going through my you know, first book. <laughs> you, you, and, and the first time, right, you're going through it. It's like, there's that, oh my God, what am I doing? Is this how it's supposed to feel? This is weird. This is hard. This is like... Yeah. And and the truth is, I don't want to scare you, but five times in, I still am like, well, this is insane. Like, it's insane. Sure. And and again, it's just I have to keep coming back to like my own practices of taking care of myself mentally and emotionally, because those are the things that no matter what the heck's going on, by the way, going through this pandemic. I mean, if we're fortunate enough to not be in the hospital, to not be sick, to not be dying, to not be caring for people who are sick or dying, which again, for anyone who's in that situation... I have so much love and respect and empathy and appreciation for the vast majority of us. In some cases, our businesses are significantly impacted. I know mine is. For some case, in some cases, people have lost their jobs. But for the most part, everybody is mentally and emotionally impacted by this. Yeah. And how we're going to be on the other side of this has everything to do with our own mental and emotional fitness and very little to do with even the circumstances of how this all plays out. It's so... I definitely want to get into the book, but I want to continue that train of thought. <laughs> hey, because it's all it, good, man. It's it's perfect in the sense of you know my follow up to that is like what so what are you doing and and what what are those core practices for you that a have allowed you to shift from a career of 
of sports into what you're doing now to putting out five books. Like the, these are big things, right? Yeah. And and then now going through <laughs> just because it wasn't challenging enough to launch a book to throw a pandemic in the middle of, of your fifth yeah. book launch. Uh, right. I'm curious what you're doing to to keep your mind uh, healthy and, and thriving the, the best you can. Well, there's a couple things and there's a couple things I'm doing and then there's a couple things I'm struggling with. Um, sure. Uh, the, so for me, what's really important for me personally is uh, human connection, right? Which is now altered, of course, because of this, but staying connected to like, I'm a verbal processor. <laughs> so being yeah. able to communicate with people verbally is super important to me. It's a good thing that I decided a career where I speak all the time <laughs> because <laughs> I enjoy it and I like to express myself, but there's also just separate from when I'm doing my work itself is just being in constant dialogue and conversation. So like finding ways and places to do that. I mean, I still have a couple different counselors and coaches that I work with. And that has been throughout my entire life. I mean, it was tougher when I was really broke and couldn't afford that, but I still mm -hmm. found people in my life to talk to. Like, I'm just a huge believer in that. And that's a mental, emotional practice for me. A second thing is journaling. I started journaling when I got depressed the first time when I was in my, you know, when I was 20, 21 years old. And I realized, oh, I could process a lot and get a lot out by writing just to myself. Totally. I, I have two, I have two journals that I keep and they're sitting right here on my desk. One is a regular journal that I just, you know, whatever's going on in my mind, in my heart. And, and the other one is actually a gratitude slash self-compassion journal where I write down three things daily that I'm grateful for and three things that I forgive myself for. Because one of my pitfalls, as many humans I know, is being harsh and critical of myself. So continuing to flex the muscle of being kind and forgiving to myself is super important. Um, my meditation practice is really important and it's challenging in general. I ebb and flow with it. Um, and right now, I've actually found it it's so much more important and I'm finding it harder for me to do it. Um, I, I try to meditate in the mornings. Um, and so that's been, you know, an important practice and one that I've found challenging. And then the, the final one, which is like super basic, and I'm finding it actually the most challenging right now is just like I heard a couple of years ago, Liz Gilbert, the great author of Eat, Pray, Love and many other books that I love. She had this whole talk online that I saw and then it really resonated with me. She said, take care of your animal, meaning mm. like just take care of yourself physically. She talked about it from the con in the context of being a creative person. She's like, I'm a creative person. I'm a writer. But if I don't take care of my body, if I don't take care of my health and well-being and I'm exhausted or I'm not eating well or I'm not exercising, it's like I don't need to be, you know, an Olympic athlete. But if I'm not taking care of my animal, <laughs> my physical animal, I can't be creative because yeah. like my attention. And, and so and I actually think about it as a former athlete. You know, I'm 46 years old now. I'm not in the same shape I was when I was 20, 21 years old. I don't expect to be. But I try to still think of myself as training to be prepared to go out and compete in the way that I did as an athlete. And that's been in this pandemic for me, in the midst of a book launch, in the midst of trying to pivot the business, I've been struggling, quite frankly, with doing some of my basic practices around sleep, around food, around rest and, and exercise that are really important. And I'm, I'm feeling the, um, the impact of that and noticing it when I wake up in the morning and just how I feel. And so again, I think it's not about being vigilant in some crazy, I have to work out for four hours a day, you know, yeah. we can take it to an extreme, but I think finding simple practices that we can do 
I know the huge difference it makes when I do it. And I also see the impact when I don't. And so I'm at this moment, as you and I are speaking right now, it's been a bit of a struggle for me over the last few weeks. And I'm trying as best I can to get back on track with that stuff because I know the physical impact it has, but I also know how much it impacts me mentally and emotionally when I'm doing that. You're human like the rest of us, Mike. Of course, <laughs> of course. How, um, let, let's stay on that because I mean, same thing. And almost word for word, I'd say for me, meditation is the one that is is up and down. And I, I you know, it feels, I can feel the benefits when I'm, I'm doing it regularly, but it, it, it's been really uh, oscillating, let's say the last few yeah. weeks. Yeah. What's what are you doing? I mean, you've obviously you, you have the self awareness that you've you've realized this, so you know mm -hmm. where where you're not um, falling through on some of those practices. Like, what's the game plan, or how for others that are listening that are struggling as well? What what could you suggest? I I think look, I've always been a big believer in keeping it simple and trying to have some kind of accountability without being harsh and critical, right? So I think talking about it, acknowledging it, hey, I'm struggling with this, not like a whiny excuse, but like yeah. hey. And then figuring out, like, I have a little, I mean, not to get too geeky or nerdy about it, but like, I literally have a spreadsheet that I keep that has, it's kind of a self-care spreadsheet that has the date. And then it has a bunch of different sort of categories across the spreadsheet that's literally just in Google Docs for me. And if I, you know, and what happens is when I really fall out of practice with my stuff, I literally stop even looking at the spreadsheet. <laughs> but, but, but the idea behind it is it just has like, columns for sleep you know yeah. i mean that's the very first one like how much did i sleep the night before did i meditate yes or no if i graded my eating for the day is it an a b c d or f right mm -hmm. did i connect with my wife did i do yoga did i jump on my rebounder did i go for a walk did i do my little seven minute circuit workout did i do my you know like did i meditate in the morning and then i have this other little meditation that i'll do sometimes right after workout that's like a five minute just listen to a song and lay down right did i write Ooh, in my like gratitude that. journal did i write in my regular journal did i listen to something or watch something like a ted talk or something that allowed me to grow and develop and think or a podcast or right um did i eat after dinner which is something i try not to do how much water did i drink did i have tea you know, did I get on the scale and weigh in for the day? I mean, those are all of the categories across my spreadsheet. And then I have a little thing where I can take some notes for the day. And for me, again, for some people listening, that might sound insane or like super anal or weird. But for me, it just lays it out like and again, it's more about just telling the truth. And the truth is that sometimes I literally say no to all of those things. But mm -hmm. it puts it in my awareness like, oh, ugh, that doesn't feel good that I'm saying no to all of these things, right? Or that I graded myself as a C minus on how I ate yesterday. Like, hmm, hopefully by paying attention to those things, then it will shift me into starting to get more into practice. And when I can say yes to most of them and then reflect on, oh, how do I feel today having done all those things yesterday? Or how did I feel going to bed last night or waking up this morning? I notice, oh. I feel better. You know, one of Trends, one of the challenges yeah. for me when I when I finished playing baseball, I remember saying to my friends at the time, like, oh, I'm going to have to like work out just to work out. Like there's no accountability. There's no pressure. There's no expectation. There's no group going to go do like we would complain about working out, but you did it because it was part of the deal it was part of the job. But then I was like, oh, I mean, this was many years ago, but it was like, oh, I have to find a new motivation. And, and then all these years later, I mean, my baseball career is so far in the past now, but it's like, why would I work out? Why would I meditate? Why would I do like, what's the why behind it? 
And for me, again, in some of these practices, I say to people all the time, like, don't get so attached to the practice. Keep adjusting and modifying it. Notice how you feel. Notice how you show up in life. Notice how clear you feel, how engaged you feel. And if that's, if you're feeling engaged and clear and connected, great, then keep doing what you're doing. If you're not, tinker around with some of the practices until you find ones that work. And they sometimes work for me for like years and years. And sometimes they work for like a couple months and then they stop working and then I just got to find new practices. Yeah, totally. No, and I appreciate you sharing the details because, and, and that's a huge goal of this show because I don't, I really believe there's no prescription to these right. practices. Just like, you know, some person may like running another likes to spin or play baseball. Totally. So Totally. You know, if we can put them all out there and, and one resonates and I mean, this whole tracking system actually gets me uh, excited, but I realize I'm not the norm on this stuff either. <laughs> right. You, you and I are geeks about that. But again, exactly. I think just, but in general, whether you have a tracking system or not, I mean, some way though of putting it, look, the reality is habits are hard to, to, to create. Yeah. And then they're easy to break if they, if they take some, you know, effort to do. And so I just think in some ways, I simultaneously feel like we need to both have more empathy and compassion for ourselves. And at the same time, we have to have more healthy accountability for ourselves. Because the truth of the matter is, there's a ton of stuff that's really good for me to do that I don't do unless I have some accountability. I mean, let's take it out of the realm of wellness and fitness and taking care of ourselves, writing a book, right? I don't really like to write. Mark, it's not my favorite thing. I love talking. I could talk all day, every day. I could be on a podcast like this, like it, not a problem. Sitting sure. down to write, ugh, hard. My mind goes crazy. I'm by myself. I'm an extrovert. I'm not an introvert. So I'm sitting in a room, staring at a computer, thinking this is the dumbest thing anyone's ever heard. <laughs> Why am I writing this? No one's going to care. Right? All that stuff. That's what makes it really hard for me. And then writing a book that takes a really long time and gets a lot of feedback and editing and you know, the whole thing really hard for me to do. Even writing a blog post, which is easier than writing a book, obviously. But the only way that I've written five books is accountability. Meaning there yeah. was an expectation that someone was said, here's the deadline, here's what you got to do. And knowing now my butt's on the line, it's like, you know, the metaphor of you throw your hat over the wall and you have to either climb over the wall to go get it or just say, screw it, I'm not, I'm going to leave the hat. But that's a way that we, I think, put ourselves into position to do things that are scary that we might otherwise not do is we throw our hat over the wall and say, I'm going to do it. So like the first time I wrote a book, I was terrified because I was like, ah. I was the guy who literally procrastinated until the absolute 11th hour to write every paper I wrote my entire <laughs> life. No joke. Like, yeah, it just, I stayed up all night every time and was miserable and just couldn't figure out how to, my wife was like the opposite. She would write the paper the day they assigned it. And I'm like, oh my God, thank God you're raising our children and teaching them study habits because they don't want to <laughs> follow after me. But it's like, that's what we have to do in, in a lot of cases is create some kind of accountability for ourselves that's going to push us past our perceived limit. And sometimes, again, with even just daily practices, if it's something that's a little uncomfortable or something that takes a little effort, if I don't have an accountability buddy or someone to check in with, that's another thing that we can do is just have who do we talk to about the different ways that we want to care for ourselves and mm -hmm. have someone who holds us accountable because otherwise you know, then I'm just off in my own little world, you know, sneaking into the pantry late at night, eating food I shouldn't eat, which by the way, I have been doing recently and doesn't feel good. <laughs> same. <laughs> We're the same person, I think. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's Mark. Just want to take a few seconds to first thank you for listening and offer a free one-on-one 30-minute -on -one virtual mental fitness coaching session with me. Okay, so what's the catch? It's literally 
three minutes of your time to provide a review of the show. They are so important. So the first three people to screenshot the review and DM me or tag behind the human on Instagram will get a message back from me to set up a time for a session. Thank you so much and back to the show. Well, I mean, everything we've been talking about is to me links so well with obviously the the book that you're you just launched, right? We're all in yes. this together. And for sure, in the, in the sense of like, I, you couldn't have, I mean, I know it wasn't planned, but you could have right. had a better title to uh, yeah. reflect, you know, what we're in right now. I'm well, just curious, like, how did it all come up? Well, and it's funny because I had to fight for the title. Like my agent didn't like it. My editor didn't like it. nobody. Nobody wanted it. They were like, no, no, that's weird. That doesn't sound, doesn't make sense. It sounds a little soft. What are you talking about? And I was like, no, you don't understand. Like, it, and and basically, I mean, the book is really about the subtitle. Of the book is creating a team culture of high performance, trust, and belonging. So it really is yeah. geared towards leaders and teams in organizations. How do you build a culture and create and sustain a culture where people can perform at a high level, where people really trust each other, people have each other's backs, and there's a sense of belonging? I mean, this is a lot of the work that I do with organizations and with teams. It's kind of like this book is actually more of like a almost a sequel, although it's weird to talk about a business book or a you know, team book as a sequel to my last book, which is called Bring Your Whole Self to Work. The fifth and final principle of that book was create a championship team. And I kind of wanted to double click on that and do even more research and more focus on. I hadn't, of all the books I've written, even though I I do a lot of work around team culture and team performance, I'd never actually written a book about it. But the reason that I really wanted it to be called We're All in This Together is because that's always to me been been an underlying principle of any great team I've ever been around is there's this sense of we're in this thing together. Like regardless of role, regardless of title, regardless of who gets credit and all that, it's like we're going to lock arms. We're committed to something bigger than just simply our own personal success and ambition. However, the other piece of it, and it then took on a whole other meaning with what's going on, was given the incredible amount of divisiveness we've seen in our country here in the U.S., in Canada, where you are in the world, you know, we sort of have our own unique version of it here in America, but it's not a new phenomenon. And, but it, it's been concerning to me at a deeper level, like what is going on? And I'm somebody who, without sounding like overly naive or just sort of Pollyanna optimistic in some ridiculous way, I've never understood like who's the them in the us versus them thing. It's not like I've never taken sides. It's not like I've never had that, but I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Aren't we, aren't we all kind of us? Like, I don't know where that really plays out. If you take it out to the nth degree, it's like as humans, it feels to me like my experience, while it's unique to me, I think a lot of people who are just listening to me tell my story about some of my struggles with mental illness, some of my struggles with, you know, eating in the pantry or whatever the hell. I mean, it may not be the exact same struggles that you have, but at the end of the day, I feel like we're so similar as humans underneath the surface emotionally that like I've always been wired in this way that's curious about and wanting to find how do we find common ground? How do we relate to each other? Because I think I've spent a lot of my life grappling with my own loneliness like I think a lot of us do to some degree and I'm not like lonely like Mm -hmm. there's not people around me there's a lot of people around me and I have a lot of love in my life but that sense of feeling alone or feeling weird or feeling like something's wrong with me I think isn't unique to me and I think the more we can tell the truth and be real about our experience 
the more we connect with each other and remind each other, no, you're not crazy. You're not crazy. I'm not crazy. We're not crazy. We're all just human. And it's actually kind of hard being human. And if we can help each other, it makes it a little less hard and actually more fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, and I think it's the ultimate test right now for organizations and cultures, right? Like, yeah. I, you know, as you're saying that, I couldn't help but think the, the, the teams that, you know, haven't focused on those building blocks and have, let's say, um, a weaker culture or needs work, however you want to f- frame it up. I feel like those are the the individuals that are probably suffering the most right now. Yeah. You know, and ask, and ask, have a huge, you know, cycle of questions of yes, life questions, work questions and, and all of that. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I love the saying that circumstances don't define us, they reveal us. And in a lot of cases, whether that's us individually or that's our families or our teams. I mean, again, a situation like this is intense and it's bringing up a lot for all of us, understandably, but it shines a light on things. And in some ways, you know, emotionally, one of the things that has been feeling most resonant to me about this experience, again, I've never been through this. None of us have ever been through a pandemic like this where we're at home and, you know, it's just, there's so many aspects of this that are bizarre and like surreal, but it feels to me emotionally similar to my experiences with grief. Yeah. And what I mean by that, and and I do think there's been like, I've heard David Kessler, who's a grief expert, talk about this in recent weeks about we're collectively grieving. There's so much loss happening, loss of life, loss of jobs, loss of opportunities, loss of, of freedom, loss, 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 that we don't do a very good job, particularly in our Western culture with grief. And we especially don't do, a, we're not used to collectively grieving like this. But the reason that the, this like, you know, I've lost my father, my mother, my sister, have had some pretty significant losses in my life. And having gone through those experiences as awful and painful and and sad and all the things that that it is, there's also been this like peace and beauty and connection and gratitude and love and perspective and all of this like, wow. And in the same way that I never wished that any of them died, I never wished this pandemic on the world by any stretch of the imagination there's something beautiful about it to me too in that it's reorienting me and so many people i know to like wait a minute what matters who matters what am i doing why am i doing it like it's it's causing us all understandably to ask some deeper questions and i do feel like again without it well there's it happens for a reason like i don't want to be cliche about it but I do feel like if we're willing to do the work and we're willing to open up to this experience, there's a ton of opportunity for growth in it. I think of something a, a therapist years ago said to me when I was going through a really hard time. She said, Mike, don't waste a good crisis. Hmm. And I said, what? And she said, you're going through a terrible time. It's super painful. I get it. I know. But here's the deal. You're really open right now in a way that you probably won't be when you get through this. And if you can pay attention and really pay attention and look and listen and learn and grow and change and allow yourself not to just heal through this painful experience, because she was basically saying to me, look, you're going to get through this one way or the other. The question is, who are you going to be on the other side of it? Yeah. And look, it was a little bit of tough love, but I appreciated her saying it and I never forgot it because I thought to myself like, oh, every time I go through something difficult, I don't have to, we don't have to go through crises, by the way, to learn and grow. It's, but when we are, and in a crisis, which in some cases collectively we are right now, why not try to figure out how to learn from it and grow from it? Because otherwise then we're just a victim of the crisis. 
I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, wow, there's there's so much great <laughs> wisdom and value in the, in those last few lines. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. I I'm gonna start wrapping up because I want to respect yes. your time. Um, and obviously, I'll link to everything in the show notes. <laughs> I mean, the the book is couldn't be more timed. I think mm. for for any business leaders. Uh, listening to this and frankly anyone like <laughs> at yeah. this rate if you have a lot of questions going through your mind i'd love to know from from the author's perspective like how do you want people to feel when they're done reading your book it's a great question i mean i think in, in some ways and, and not to sound sort of hyperbolic about it but it's like i feel like this book is timely to what we're just talking about but there's a timeless aspect to it because yeah what i ultimately want people to feel reading the book is first of all um, you're not alone. Second of all, there's an enormous amount of power available when we really do reach out to each other, when we ask for help, when we offer help, when we look for how can I serve and how can I be supported, which is ultimately what great teams do. And, you know, I think they're it's tricky. Look, dealing with other humans is tricky. It's complicated. People have their stuff. We have our stuff. It's not easy, but there's something so magical. It's more of the exception than the rule in my experience from all those years in sports and in business of like a real great team really coming together. But when it happens, it's so joyous and magical and fun. And there's so much that becomes available. And I think that most teams and most groups have that potential within them. It's just a question of, are we willing to do the work to unlock that? Hmm. Um, and, and it's absolutely possible. It's really just a matter of getting out of our own way and, and leaning on each other. I love it. Last, last question for you, sir. And it's, yep. it's related. I mean, you've already left some really good reflective questions, but I, I'd love to know, especially since you're journaling quite often, you know, are there two or three reflective prompts that are circulating in your mind going through these practices right now that have been helpful or during big uh, I mean, we're in a life-changing event, clearly, but any other life-changing <laughs> yeah. events as well? Well, I would say one question that I constantly ask myself and I answer in my journal, try to do daily is, what are you grateful for? Yeah. And that question to me, as simple and basic as it is, I think is a profound question. Another question that I try to ask, and I want to ask this question even more right now and in general, is how can I serve? And, and really answer that in a way that's like, what's in my heart and what's in my core that I can offer to the people I love, to the world, to whatever. But it's like, how, you know, how can I serve? And mm -hmm. the, thir the third question is, how can I be kind to myself and to others? That's powerful. Because that's, again, as I, it's a challenging one for me and most people I know. The kindness to others isn't that challenging. The kindness to myself is the most challenging. But I don't believe that we actually see other people as they are. I believe we see them as we are. So the kinder we are to ourselves, the more authentically kind we can be to others. Powerful questions. It, how can I serve as well? I mean, as soon as you said that, it, it, it flipped me right back to when you first, when you really discovered that writing and helping and coaching and all of that was really your your mission hmm. to continue right it's interesting yeah. um what just, sorry i've got one more for you <laughs> it's okay man <laughs> i'm i'm good um just with everything going on and, and just life in general i mean what what makes you smile each day 
Um, my wife, Michelle, our daughters, Samantha's 14, Rosie's 11. Um, they make me smile. They make me laugh. They make fun of me. So <laughs> we all kind of yeah, laugh of at me in the house. But um, <laughs> you know what else makes me smile, even though it breaks my heart, is um, just the enormous amount of courage and service and just what people are, how people are showing up in the midst of this. I am blown away every day by you know, the courageous people who are picking up their lives and, you know, going to New York City because they're healthcare workers and they want to serve or just so many examples of, you know, heroic, courageous behavior that uh, that really makes my heart sing and, and gives me a lot of hope and faith for humanity. I agree a thousand percent on that. It's, um, again, I, you know, I echo what you said. I don't wish pandemics on anyone, but it has no. been nice seeing just... Yeah humanity stepping up in in many ways yeah so i i'd like to acknowledge you as well because you have a you have a hand in that in the work that you do uh, with through this book with through the last 20 years and your your time on this planet just pushing forward pushing through your own hurdles and your own emotional struggles to get this work out there and, and impact lives so thank you for your service to this world as well hmm. thanks for saying that i appreciate it very much well, Mr. Robbins, thank you for a great show and wishing you all the best. Thanks for having me. 